Welcome to the Bishop Strickland Hour. My name is Terry Barber with Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And I always get fired up when I talk about the Catholic faith with a successor of the Apostle. Anyone. It doesn't necessarily be Bishop Strickland. But I, I realize that my faith is apostolic. You know, that I can find out who ordained Bishop Strickland. Then I can go find out who that was, who ordained him. And I can link it all the way back to 2,000 years. That's something that as a young person, I remember finding it very reassuring that our church has apostolic roots. So, Bishop Strickland, thanks again for another hour here, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. So, uh, welcome. Thanks, Terry. Thank you. I wanted to bring up uh, a topic that uh, Cardinal Pell, he passed away just about a year ago. And he's been on our program with you. And I think it was right right after he got out of prison. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was my recollection. And he talked a little bit about his ordeal. And uh, he he fought the case and won it. You know, so he's, they accused him of some mismanagement of sexual nature. And um, it was found that it it was, uh, you know, not true. But he spent over a year in prison for it. And this is a man who has really, I, I know him back in, I think it was 1996, I thought about it, uh, because I had to ask how old my kids were. I had four little kids at the time, and uh, they were in a 15-passenger van with Cardinal Pell. He was the Archbishop of Melbourne, and we were taking him around Southern California to the Getty Museum and different places. And uh, I have to tell the story. This is the man who had my, I, and I gotta think about this. We're in, we're in America. He's got my six-year-old daughter in his lap, right? And we're singing American folk songs while I'm driving down the freeway. Now, Father Bishop Strickland, we have seatbelt laws. You know, we have all these things, you know, all this stuff. And we're just having a grand old time. I didn't say a word. I said, you know what? My kids are having a great time with this archbishop. And he's like, he has a similar approach because I've seen you with young people. They connect with you as you have interest in them and you're willing to engage with them. That's what Archbishop Pell did in 1996. And that's how I met him and we became friends. And so uh, the reason is because is Father Fessio asked me to, he said his friend Cardinal Pell, Archbishop Pell needed a, a day in LA and he wanted to see the sites. And he said, well, Mr. Barber would be happy to do that. And he was right, I was. But I, I bring this up because... His life, you know, he was a football player, a rugby player. He's a big dude, six foot four, rough and tough. And, um, you know, he became a Catholic priest, obviously, and a spokesman for truth. I remember watching him on TV shows on YouTube with um, uh, controversial topics, whether it was homosexuality or women priests, and he never budged, and he was calm about it. And they would attack him, and he would just refute them with the truth of what the gospel teaches. And it didn't seem like he was rattled. And I wanted to get your take, because you met him via the radio. I don't, maybe you met him in person. Did you meet him in person? No, no, never had the chance to meet him in person. But I did have a couple of Zoom kind of uh, sessions where I had a chance to have a conversation with him. Good. And, we- um, and of course, the, you know, the Australia connection is, mm-hmm. is significant because... I'm sure I've mentioned here that my mother was from Sydney, Australia. Yeah. He ended up uh, the uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Sydney um, toward the end of his life. So 
Um, yeah, Cardinal Pell, a great man of the church, just a great man, um, and and very kind of unflappable in <laughs> speaking the truth of the church. He did his best to tackle some of the financial corruption, and that ultimately is what got him with false accusations, spending time in prison, not because of any financial, but they they used a smokescreen to say, oh, he did this abuse that yeah. I was really pleased that the court ultimately said that this was absurd, what was what he was accused of. Right. And it's even more absurd that he ended up spending, um, I think, 17 months in prison, yeah. with this absurd allegation against him. But thankfully, toward the end of his life, he was freed and he wrote I haven't had a chance to read his letters from prison, but I understand that they're very significant. And I remember um, in our conversation with him, mm -hmm. it, the, he talked about his experience with the guards and how kind they were and how much he appreciated their, yeah. their humanity. Yeah. And, and, and that really struck me that here's this man rather than being bitter about being falsely accused and falsely imprisoned for more than a year, here he is, kind of like you said earlier. I mean, you know, the guards were not children, but he was open to them. He saw their humanity. He appreciated their humanity toward him. And I'm sure that a lot of that was because he treated them yeah. as human beings and treated them as valuable and and worthwhile children of God. Um, I mean, that reciprocal back and forth doesn't always happen, but it's certainly, that's what we're called to do as Christians, as, as we seek to model our lives on Jesus Christ, to treat people with respect, to, to recognize their innate value. And I think that the Cardinal Pell really was a great example of that. You know, Bishop Strickland, uh, Father uh, Robert Sirico from the Acton Institute, who I'm a big fan of, uh, he did a, uh, he's done work with, with the Cardinal Pell for years. He said, ask yourself how many other people in the church have taken on the homosexual lobby, the climate change ticksters, you know, the people, <laughs> he, he takes them all on, Cardinal Pell did, and, the, and, and all of it. He said, the pastoral personalities of many priests and bishops seem preconditioned to avoid things that clash, cause debate, or conflict. Pell was a dramatic exception. And I, you know what I'm going to say, Bishop Strickland? Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I know if he's inspired me. My question to you as a bishop, when you hear Cardinal Pell doing these things, did it empower you or did it just say, oh, well, that's, that's fine? Or what, what impression did Cardinal Pell have on your life as a bishop? Oh, he, he inspired me to really know that what I try to do, we've got to speak the truth with charity and clarity mm -hmm. and not let anyone silence the truth of Christ. It's not, it's not about an individual being silenced. It's about the truth that Christ lived, died, and rose to share with us. It's about that truth being silenced or distorted. And so he truly did inspire me. And I know that he inspired a lot of people. Yeah, he did. And, you know, before his death, he had written a letter that was prophetic. And, you know, it was an untimely death. But you know what? 
you can't really say that because God from all eternity called him home. But I would I would ask our listeners to say a prayer for him because we don't know if he's in heaven a year later. And I can guarantee you, knowing what I know of him, he would he would ask you right now to have a mass offered for him. And let's be honest, if he is in heaven and you offer that mass for him, our Catholic faith says it's going to go to the next person who's in need in purgatory. So I don't think he would mind me asking our listeners to pray for the repose of Cardinal Pell. Absolutely. All right. Uh, before we move on, uh, which we're going to move on to the catechism, I just wanted to uh, mention something you tweeted because I didn't get it in the last week. And that was, um, you said, Mac, second book of Maccabees, uh, par- uh, chapter 6, verse 18 to 31 uh, the martyrdom of Eleazar. Eleazar was 90 years old. Okay, I, I'm 67 now. At 90 years old, that's an old man. But he was willing to die rather than defile the laws of his Jewish faith. You point out in your tweet, his story gives us an example of disciples of every age. And then you said, let us be like uh, Eleazar and simply say no to anything that's contrary to the faith. Uh, amen to that. Uh, it seems like, especially today. Yeah, well, that's why I shared that because that story in Second Maccabees yeah. is very inspiring, and I and it was written in in the book of Maccabees because I'm sure that the Jewish faithful that knew of the story of Eleazar were inspired by this man who was and said very clearly, you know, because they're. I mean, you, you might say, well, it's just a matter of uh, pretending to eat a little meat and, yeah. you know, placating the, the rulers. Sure. But he knew that it would be bad example. I mean, that's what our faith would teach us. So um, and we need that kind of inspiration. We yeah. need people like Eleazar who remind us nothing uh, supersedes the value of being faithful to God especially, and we've said it many times, I mean, we're both in our 60s, yep. and that, I can say, and I know you say the same thing, yeah. part of the realization that we have, a good part of our life is behind us. Exactly. We don't know how much, nobody knows how much is ahead of them, but, you know, younger people in their 20s and 30s, they assume they have a lifetime ahead, which hopefully they do. Um, but a lot of our lifetime is in the rearview mirror, but that we need to remember that. And I think Cardinal Pell was another example of what Eleazar did. He, he, in his last years, was very strong and very focused on sharing the truth and being willing to take the, the, um, the hits for sharing the truth and standing for that truth. So it's really a a perennial, ageless call that we have. And we pray that not only just because a person's old doesn't mean they're wise, but we need to pray for that wisdom. Well, Sam, we come back. I got another inspirational story to share with you. Stay with us. You're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. (laughs) Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Yes, I chew gum and I walk at the same time. 
Bishop Strickland, that's a great story that you just told us, and it's inspiring from the Old Testament. And I want to give another story that you tweeted. I love hearing about young people engaged in the faith because, you know, you think about, I mean, statistically, this is a bad statistic, 87% of kids that by the time they're 23 are not practicing their Catholic faith. That's horrendous. We got to knock that off. We got to stop that. Well, I, I'm saying I'm proud to know Curtis Martin with the uh, Catholic students uh, that he's running out there. He's he's got it all over the country at colleges, um, and he used to record my Scott Hahn recordings at Steubenville in the I think 1990, and uh, now he's running the students program that gets people involved in their faith. They had 20,000 Catholic students singing the Salve Regina. I saw it. I read, I think I listened to it two or three times because it was so inspiring. And you yeah. tweeted about it. What are, are you, is the reason you tweeted it, is that the same reason you were inspired by it? Absolutely. And and I've had the chance in the past, not that large a crowd, yeah. but had the chance to celebrate mass for the focus okay. group in there and they're gathering. And it's it's so inspiring to see the numbers, but also to hear young people who, you know, frankly, know the Salve Regina <laughs> to be able to sing it. And to hear these young voices raised up in worship and song. I mean, it's very inspiring to celebrate Mass as a priest, where too often in a parish setting, um, you know, you say the Lord be with you and you kind of go and with, you know, yeah. sort of a, a you know, not not so enthusiastic. Yeah. But to have, you know, 10,000, it was about 10,000 when I was there. Wow. Uh, but to have 10,000 young people responding. And yeah. I mean, the Second Vatican Council talked about um, to be engaged in the, in the mass, full yeah. and active participation. Right. That's what it's about. And. So it is inspiring to see young people. And I think we always have to remember that, um, that there are many good stories out there. There are many faithful families and faithful people and faithful young people. Like the the story that I told, I mean, he's he's not uh, one of the young people any longer. He was (laughs) a young person that, you know, had this moment of really conversion. Yeah. And became a really strong Catholic. We need to celebrate that. We need to always remember, yeah, there, there's darkness and there's there's division and there's confusion. Uh, we need to do our best to, to eliminate all of that because it harms people. That's right. But one of the positive things that we can do is always remember the good things. Uh, I mean, things like focus that continues to grow. That's so important campus ministry for young people that are looking for connections Man. and that beautiful ministries of some of the, I mean, we're blessed in Texas to have Texas A&M with a, oh, I was yeah. able to go uh, recently uh, in the fall of this past year to the dedication of St. Mary's, a beautiful church holds 1700 people wow. and it, it gets filled on the campus there of Texas A&M University, the Aggies, yeah. their college station, Texas. Um, we need to to highlight those stories of inspiration in the young people, young men going into seminaries, yeah. 
women going into the convent. I mean, there are some great stories that even in the midst of all the confusion and all the, like you said, what, 23-year-olds that are walking away from their faith. Yeah. There are others that are deeply inspired to live their faith. And we need to, to support them and highlight yeah. that, hopefully inspiring those that may be kind of weakening to get stronger and to get more committed to Christ. Yes. You know, storytelling, over the past 44 years <laughs> of putting out Bishop Sheen's Life is Worth Living, and then Dr. Scott Hahn and all the other ones we've been recording, 30 million recordings around the world, I think of a young man who I met from South Korea at church, and I ended up hiring him to replicate cassette tapes, and he ended up joining the Carthusians. Now, Bishop Strickland, the Carthusians are tough. I mean, they're the, they're the order that's never been reformed in the entire church. And I saw their schedule, man. It, it, it's not easy. So he ends up joining, you know, the order out of right from working with us. And he's now Father Superior. And about two months ago, maybe I told you this, a young man who worked for me also here at St. Joseph Communications. And this was like, oh, gosh, six months ago. Uh, he ended up going into the Norbertine order. Well, he found out that wasn't his call. That happens. You know, you go into the order and it didn't work out. But he wants a more contemplative order. So who does he write to? The Carthusians. The one he writes to the Father Superior who worked. They have something in common. They both worked at St. Joseph Communications. They're separated about 35 years or however many, 85, whatever that is. I guess that's 40 years. Oops. Okay, we're getting old. But the point of it is, now he wants to become a Carthusian monk. And, you know, God willing, he'll, he'll move on. We've had girls that became members of the Sisters of Life in New York with Cardinal O'Connor. They worked for us, and they wanted to become nuns. Several, several, I can't think of how many young men are priests, but I think of this, and it's all through the grace of God. But, you know, you said that young man that you told the story of when he was at a retreat. I got to tell you, how many priests who tell me over the years, it was Bishop Sheen who got me to become a priest. It was Scott Hahn's series on Hebrews, his Bible study in Hebrews that made me think of me, or this or that. And I think of it because God, it, grace builds on nature, as St. Thomas says. And so I just want to encourage our listeners to encourage, especially when you see a young man at the church, just ask him, have you ever seriously considered becoming a priest? And, you know, he, sometimes I've, I've said this to young guys. I said that actually today to the server at the church today. And he goes, oh, I want to be a teacher. Okay, that's all right. But you know what? I asked. And I, yeah. I, I probably asked more than most. But I saw he's you know, going to graduate from a university and uh, have his good degree. And I just, he's always serving at mass. Why not ask him? See, and this is what we probably should be doing uh, as lay people. And not pushing people, but just asking, have you ever seriously considered doing this? And sometimes that's all they need to say, you know, but I don't know where to go. Well, you, you, met, the right, you're right, you, you met the right knucklehead. That's me. I can give you some direction on some good seminaries. So I think that uh, you're, and you're, you were a vocation director. You talked about me knowing about you. Yes, I knew that you were a vocation director. Um, Bishop Strickland, is this, you, would you say that's a good idea for lay people to do that when you see some 
young man or young woman to talk about maybe the convent or maybe a vocation for a young man to the priesthood. How would you approach that? Or am I just too direct? Oh, no. I think we we need to, certainly with uh, a great respect that they may, like this young man, said, oh, he wanted to be a teacher. That's great. Yeah. But at, I've, I've often said that once a vocation director, you're always a vocation director. <laughs> That's good. As bishop, I often would ask servers or young people, you know, consider the possibility. When I visit a, a family, it has boys and girls. I encourage the boys to consider priesthood and the girls to consider the convent, at least to pray about it. Um, in my experience, and I would say you would say you're a layman with a wife and children and grandchildren. I'm a lifelong priest and entered the seminary at 18. Um, but the point is, find God's plan for you. Find what God is calling you to do. It, it doesn't make life always easy or turn out the way you expected, but it, it makes your life fulfilling. Yeah. And I mean, really, that's what we all need to be doing. I mean, ultimately, our vocation is eternal life with God. Yes. But how we journey through this life, it reminds us that this journey is not just something to get through to get to heaven. It's it's important, this journey. It's beautiful. And and I would say you would you are a different man than the one who got married yeah. however many years ago. Oh yeah. Um, because of experiences, because your wife has helped you grow and right. challenge you. Yep. You've challenged her. Um, yep. that that's what life is about. Yep. And to, to find the best, I feel very blessed that at 18 years old, yeah. I really didn't know what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I gave it a chance. Yeah. And by the grace of God, each year through the seminary and as a newly ordained priest and through the years now, my next anniversary in June, it'll be 39 years. Oh my God. Um, the, you know, there's, I couldn't imagine a better path than the one that I've lived. It hasn't always been easy, but it's if you're doing what God made you for, then it's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be meaningful. Um, so I love to encourage young people to, to consider it. That's what I always said as vocation director. At least pray about it, consider it. Mm -hmm. I mean, many young men feel no real significant call to the priesthood ever, and that's fine. Many young ladies mm -hmm. never would seriously consider going into a convent, but they would. it's good to at least pray about it and say, Lord, I'm open to whatever call you give me. And then you have people like Father Donald Calloway that we both <laughs> talked to, and I mean, took a very different path, had a tremendous conversion story, yeah. and then ends up as a Catholic priest. I've known many wonderful priests through the years who said the last thing they ever yeah. wanted or <laughs> dreamed was being a priest. Yeah. And if I might add something, my wife and I both were, uh, she was in the convent before we got married. I was in a monastery in my early years. And uh, we both agree that that was very important for us to test our calling to religious life. 
Yeah. So. And we don't regret taking that time. Actually, we deepened our relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the formation we received. So I want to well, encourage that. What I always said to the, the men that were considering mm -hmm. entering the seminary, yeah. my message to them was always, the church will benefit from whatever time. If you genuinely open your heart That's right. to the question of a vocation to the priesthood for men, mm -hmm. um, then you're going to benefit and the church will benefit from you entering into, I mean, you know, some men are, go through lots of years of formation and they're ultimately, they discern out, as they say, they determine right. they aren't going to be ordained a priest. Um, but any time that they give, whether it's a month, a semester, or many years, they will benefit and the church will benefit from young people that are that have taken seriously God's call in their life and asking and, and really praying to know that call more deeply. Well, that's been my experience. Wow. We come back, we're going to open up our catechism, folks. You're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Indeed, we're opening up our catechism of the Catholic Church, which actually is the catechism from the St. Philip Institute called The Way of Christ. I have the student book, so I would encourage you to pick it up from the diocese. You can go to St. It would be ST for St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. They got great resources there. Now, Bishop Strickland, we're continuing from last week on uh, Chapter 8, The Church. And um, we're talking about how is the church Catholic? Uh, Catholic means <clears throat> as according to the whole or universal. The church is Catholic because the church proclaims the way of Jesus whole and entire. The church is also Catholic because Jesus established a church for the whole humanity. The church is made for all men, women extended across the whole world. Now, with St. Irenaeus in 107 AD, I read that in my catechism, is that when the word Catholic was first appeared because they were all over, the Christians were all over. So uh, that's an important fact. I wonder how many Catholics really understand that, even that fact. What does the word Catholic mean? Universal. So, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it is important, and it goes back to the other elements, the, the marks of the church. One, holy, yeah. like apostolic, the, the, the Catholicity of the church, the universality, yeah. really to me echoes that it's one Lord, mm -hmm. one faith, one baptism. It's that oneness for everyone, for all time, yeah. and that the universal and the church is the same everywhere, in those basic teachings. Mm -hmm. It's not like, well, this part of the club does this and that part of the club. It's if, if it's Catholic, then this is what the church proclaims. And so that universal nature of the church um, is very important and very powerful if we really recognize that truth of, of what the church is. It's not, I mean, having grown up in and worked in, um, this corner of Northeast Texas, many churches aren't Catholic. Um, many churches are part of 
And they're great people. Sure. Many of them are very strong Christians. Yeah. I've always said that. They're, we don't have any guarantee that we're going to be wonderful Christians because we're Catholic. Right. We do have the guarantee that we're part of the church that Christ established. And we benefit from that universal nature of the Catholic Church in ways that the Protestant groups, the evangelical Protestants, don't benefit from because they... I mean, they sort of celebrate the fact that they're they're not united, they're separate, they're independent. And certainly as Americans, we value independence a lot. Yeah. But um, it, again, if you remember that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, mm -hmm. and really his body is the structure of mm -hmm. the church, it's the mystical body of Christ, then the universal reality of the church becomes very um, easily understood because there's one Christ. So the church is going to be applied in all the cultures and all the different languages in every aspect of humanity. It's one church. And I think there's a great value in that um, as the church is with with all the divisions and all the challenges that we face to continue to go back to being um, that universally uh, present body of Christ. Well said, you know, this morning we did a show called how to share your faith with anyone talking about you giving people uh, formation on how to give their personal testimony. Matt Arnold <clears throat> convert to the Catholic faith 28 years ago was in the RCIA program and what really opened up his mind was when the priest who was teaching the class talked about that the church is apostolic. And he went, wow, that makes, because he wanted to say, you know, this just came along. You mean, you mean the Catholic church goes all the way back to the time of Jesus Christ? That was instrumental in his conversion. And no. that's not the only person I've heard him say that. Oh, I, I think it's, again, every one of these marks of the church are very significant, yeah. but that apostolic mm -hmm. um, nature of the church rooted in the apostles, in the original yeah. man that Christ himself chose. And through the ages, that connection, mm -hmm. uh, again, that uh, that's a value and a, mm -hmm. a, a rootedness in Christ that is, is very significant. And the, Apostolic succession yeah. is really, I mean, what we know yeah. is you don't have the mass without right. apostolic succession. Yep. And it, again, it, 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 all of these sort of point back to Christ himself, yeah. that Christ chose the apostles and the church is apostolic because it's the leadership is were chosen by Christ Amen. and to the tremendous call of and challenge of being a successor of the apostles. Yeah. I need to continue to reflect on that and pray about what does it really mean to be a successor of the apostles? And like I've said many times, and I know you've quoted, but to be it to me, that's part of it's, it's sort of exploring more deeply what it means to be first century Christians in the it. 21st century. I love it. Because we need to keep that apostolic 
character of the church very strong and very clear. It's not, it doesn't get diluted. Um, it can sometimes, I mean, the church goes through her struggles through the centuries. Right. And things can get confused as they are now. Things can get um, conflicted and divided. Sure. But the best way to work through the divisions and the confusion that we're seeing is to go back to the apostles. Yeah. I've known many, and I know you have as well, sure. Terry, sure. Um, many converts and many Catholics who have become deeply Catholic yes. by studying the church fathers, oh, the yeah. patristics. Oh, yeah. And why are they significant? Because they were so close mm -hmm. to the apostles. Yep. Many of them actually, and that was sort of in the early church, you could say they had bragging rights. Yeah. Well, I knew, I knew this apostle personally, <laughs> or I knew somebody sure. who knew this apostle personally. I mean, that was a real thing yeah. in the early church. Yeah. And it, it makes sense because you wanted to be associated though with those who actually walked with Christ. And so the, the, the faith of the church, let me share a, a story talking about I stories that, that to me ties it all together. Um, and again, it's not about me as a person. I'm just Joe from East Texas. <laughs> but I do have a, a significant calling as an ordained bishop to be a successor of the apostles. I had the chance to visit at a retreat during Advent. Uh -huh. And I visited Clear Creek Monastery. Oh, with them, yes. With Northeast Oklahoma. Yeah. A Benedictine monastery, very traditional. Yeah. Um, many people would would not be would not find their life attractive, but I thought it's not my life, but it's a beautiful life of prayer with um, Saint Benedict and the Benedictine rule. Ora sure. et labora yeah. is what they're about, which means prayer and work. And believe me, I witnessed <laughs> the men. About 60 men there in the monastery there in Clear Creek uh, on a thousand acres. They work the land, raising cattle, raising pigs, chickens. They, they do a lot of that kind of work and they pray throughout the day. Um, but what, what I wanted to get at was at being there as a bishop, I was just there to pray with them. And uh, wasn't really an organized retreat or anything. So I was just taking my own personal time to prayer, to pray. And I was joining them for their common prayer, which is not every hour, but several times during the day. Um, and when I was there in chapel with them, yeah. the monks would, I was there in a special chair that they gave me at, because I was a bishop, wow. because I was a successor of the apostles. Um, and they didn't know me from Adam. But they knew I was a successor of the apostles and their reverence toward me was because of that. Yeah. But it was humbling to me because here I am sitting there and, and, you know, I was sometimes confused by their prayer because I'm not very familiar with it. Beautiful. But I'm, you know, trying to find out what page they're on and everything. But as they're coming in two by two. These 60 men, yeah. some old, some young, just the variety of any group of 60 men from, you know, probably late 20s to 70 plus, 
but they're walking in two by two and they would all bow to me. Wow. As they came into their place for that hour of prayer. Yeah. And I knew they weren't bowing to, exactly. to as oh. Joe Strickland. No. They're bowing to my apostolic office. Exactly. In that way, I was pleased to honor the Christ and his apostles as they were. Yes. It, it was very humbling and a reminder for me that I've got a lot to live up to because here they are bowing to me because I'm a successor of the apostles. It reminds me to be the best successor of the apostles that I can be. Beautiful. Before we take the break, we don't want to go any show without uh, talking about the unborn. I just read the report for 2023. Abortion killed 44.6 million people worldwide, more than any other cause of death. Now, Bishop Strickland, we constantly talk about the unborn. This is why. Look at the the tragedy every year. That meant that's what we know. When that's not even including an abortifacient type abortions that are not recorded. So this is a huge number. And if we don't speak up for the unborn, I think it's got to be a sin of omission because they, they're crying for help. They can't, nobody can help these kids by themselves. They can't do it themselves. Somebody has to stand up for their dignity. Am I on to something? Absolutely. And Terry, I would put in a plug for the uh, pro-life march in Washington. That's what I was going to have to say. In other places, I'm going to, I'll be blessed to be at the pro-life march in Washington. Right. This year. And I encourage people to go. I can't go to Washington. There are other around the country. That's right. We got the one in the West Coast. In one of those. San Francisco area. Stay with us. We'll be back with And now back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Welcome back. Indeed, last segment of our show. Bishop Strickland, if I count it, how many times you describe our love for Jesus Christ? And you notice I bow my head every time you say our Lord's name, because I was brought up that way. Uh, it's, uh, it's constantly, I, I, I think it's great that we can bring that tradition back, that when we say Jesus Christ, we bow our head. Because I'll, I'll tell you why. In the Anglican Ordinariate, which I'm a par parishioner here at the Sacred Heart Chapel, the priest does it during the liturgy. He bows his head. And I, I don't know if we still do that, but I just think it's a wonderful sign of our reverence for the name of our Lord. Uh, are you with me on that? Uh, absolutely. And we need to we need to reverence the name of the Lord um, and really encourage that because there's so many times that the name of God and the name Jesus Christ yes. not used in a reverent way at all. Right. Even by believing people, it's almost like a an offhand comment that people make. Yeah. And I think we need to really look at that and encourage people to remember there's power in the name Jesus Christ. That's right. I consider one of the, the greatest compliments that I've received is someone... I was talking to recently said, you know, you remind me of Billy Graham. That's right. Uh, and they said the reason was because people would tell Billy Graham and his, his son uh, that continues his legacy, uh, Franklin Graham, doing a great job now. Yeah. But Billy Graham, very often people would interview him. And I know we've talked about him before also. Because yeah, yeah. he would... He would be there and pray with presidents of mm -hmm. whatever party. That's right. It didn't matter. 
But Billy Graham, they said, was always talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And when this person told me, you remind me of Billy Graham because you're always talking about Jesus. Amen. I said, thank you. It's because yeah. that's, I mean, he's the founder of our church. Yeah. He's our Lord and Savior. He's the Lord of all. Um, so I, I think we need to talk about Jesus and to use his name as the Lord God, the Son of God, and not use it in any way that is lacking in reverence Amen. because there's power in the name Jesus Christ. I mean, you can read about that in the Acts of the Apostles. That's right. And I want to endorse a little book because we just did a show on the, I think it's the 3rd of January, The Holy Name of Jesus. And I want to mention something that's kind of interesting. That, was, that feast was taken out right at the Vatican II Council. And St. John Paul II in 2002 put it back into the liturgy. And I know people will laugh at me, but there's a little booklet from Tan Books I read it when I was a teenager. It's called The Wonders of His Holy Name by Father Paul O'Sullivan, O.P. So he's a Dominican. And this reveals the simple secret of, uh, of, of, of holiness and happiness. And when you hear someone use our Lord's name in vain, what I've done, and, you know, I just simple. I say, Jesus, mercy, Mary, help. I just pray for them. That's just a natural response. And I, and I don't say it. Now, I might be a little too vocal, but I say it out loud. So when the person hears me, they get the message. What they did was, I kind of pricked their conscience. And I, and I, but I don't say it like sternly, Jesus, mercy, Mary. I say, Jesus, mercy, Mary, help. And they get the message. And I've never had anybody get mad at me to saying that. So consider doing that, folks. It's just an idea that has worked for me. All right, in this last few minutes that we have, Bishop Strickland, uh, this is a big question. And I think the catechism here answers it quite well. How does the Catholic Church view other Christian denominations? You're in the neck of the woods where you've got, a, you're, you're a minority, unlike I am in Los Angeles. Uh, but it says, Jesus Christ established only one church, which assists in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has the fullness of truth and the means of sanctification. Other Christian denominations have broken away from Christ's church. They possess some truth, some means of sanctification, you know, such as scripture, sacrament of baptism. Still, they reject tradition, the sacraments like the Eucharist and holy orders. Thus, they are in a various states of imperfect communion with the church founded by Jesus Christ, which is the Catholic Church. Catholics are called to lead fellow Christians to the fullness of the truth in the Catholic Church, or Catholic faith. I like that last statement because we've had a false idea of ecumenism. You know, we say, well, ecumenism, you tell me what you think, I'll tell you what we think, and we get along. No, no, no. A true ecumenism is sharing the fullness of the gospel with our brothers, what we call our separated brothers. Your thoughts? Well, absolutely, Terry. And once again, uh, the, the broken record's back. Good. But uh, the, fullness, the fullness of truth is, the, is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so if we can agree that he is Lord and Savior of all, mm -hmm. becoming more Catholic is to become, to come closer to Jesus Christ. Amen. And I like the imagery, the, a very Catholic imagery, but his, his sacred heart is sacred to all. Mm -hmm. And to, to come to a fuller understanding of the truth of the church 
is to come closer to his sacred heart. And one thing that I would emphasize, Terry, I'm sure there are non-Catholics listening, and I would encourage that. Um, and probably many people that are uh, have non-Catholics in their families, especially living here most of my life yeah. in an area where it's predominantly non-Catholic, about 10% at the most of this population is Catholic. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think I'm always reminded of that we as Catholics, we have the fullness of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We, have the, we have the word of God, the Bible, we have the sacraments, we have the teachings of the church throughout the ages. We have the fullness of the truth. Um, we're, I mean, it goes back to something I'm sure both of us heard from our parents. Of those who have received much, yeah. much is expected. Sure. And I think it's a, a humbling reminder to us as Catholics. Yep. And what I think a way of really reflecting on that is to really applaud and be humbled by the, the holiness and the, the, the apostolic fervor mm -hmm. of non-Catholics yeah. who don't have right. everything that we have, who don't receive the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ himself. Well said. Be the most on fire yeah. with the truth of Christ. So hopefully those non-Catholics who are on fire with the truth and many Catholics are certainly, mm -hmm. but anyone who is a deeply believing Christian and living that truth profoundly, we need to celebrate that. Yeah. We need to rejoice and we need to say, yes, there are separations, but we can't let a desire for unity in any way dilute the powerful truth of Jesus Christ. Well said. We've got about four minutes. I, thought, I think we can squeeze one more question. Uh, what is the meaning of the church statement? Outside the church, there is no salvation. This paragraph says, All salvation comes from Jesus, the head through the church, his body. Jesus does not save someone if the person knows he founded the church and rejects her. That's a key point. Rejecting the church is rejecting Jesus Christ, her founder. Those who do not know Jesus and his church through invincible ignorance will be judged according to how they respond to what they know of God and his grace. Thus, the church is responsible for going out and proclaiming Jesus Christ and his church to many. No, to all, to all nations. Wow. I think they, I mean... That's a very complicated question, and they answered it very simply. Now, the big catechism has a more explanation, but your thoughts on that? Well, I think the, the key is that the, the talking about the invincible ignorance, yeah. that if someone truly doesn't know, right. you know God is not going to hold us accountable for exactly. something we don't know. Yeah. That puts the obligation back on us yeah. as those who do know. To evangelize, Christ says, the great commissioning, go out to all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our apostolic call, not just for the apostles right. or the successors of the apostles, but for all of us who know the truth. Yeah. We all have some obligation to share that truth and to live that truth so that other people see that Jesus Christ is our Lord and he's guiding our lives. But I think that that answer in the catechism um, 
really reminds us that, uh, again, it comes back to being faithful to Christ and and conforming our lives to the truth that he's revealed to us. That's what it's about. And, you know, the reality is that many Catholics may not be very Christian at all. Um, If they're if it's just treating Catholicism like we've talked about, sort of a club I belong to and right. I occasionally do Catholic things. But if it's not about a deep commitment to Christ, then we're one of those who has received much and much is being expected. If we're not doing our best to respond to that treasure, the pearl of great price mm-hmm. that we've received, then you know, I mean, that's what motivates me, and I'm sure it motivates you. I mean, that's what we're obligated to do. We've received so much, we've got to share that. And if we refuse to, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, because we know what the truth is. For those who don't know the truth, to the degree, whatever degree of truth they know, they're obligated to live by that. And I would say to continue to learn more of the truth. You know, I, I imagine both of us, and maybe as teenagers, we even did it ourselves. Yeah. But I think of teenagers, especially as I, oh, I, don't tell me about these rules. Yeah. If I don't know, then <laughs> then I'll have to worry about it. Is bliss. But you can't you can't intentionally that's right say I'm not going to find out the truth, so I'm not <laughs> obligated by it. right. Uh, but that's in a sense rejecting the truth right there. But. Um, it's an ongoing journey for all of us. Amen. Catholic is not some sort of guarantee, but it it gives us the fullness. Uh, I guess one way I would say it is the the whole toolbox That's of grace. That's right. And sacraments and Word of God and all the things we need for our salvation to truly live our Catholic faith. Well said. When I hear the music coming on, so I want to remind everybody to go to the March for Life in Washington, D.C., or on the West Coast in San Francisco. Just Google March for Life, and you'll find it. Bishop Strickland will be there at the breakfast, the prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. So I thank you, Bishop Strickland, for taking the time to share the what a, share the gospel. Is that is that I'm thanking you to do your job. In other words, this is what you were meant to do, to give people Jesus Christ. And I thank you for taking that time to do that. Uh, I want to say that if you go to our website, vmpr.org, download the free app. You can listen to all the shows that we have on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And in the future, we're going to have more information on Bishop Strickland's new website. And we'll be giving that in the future. May God richly bless you and your family.